Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Beast Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host for today, and joining me for a conversation ahead of Brentford versus Everton is Felix Pate. Felix, how are you and thank you for joining us. Hi David, good to be back. Yeah, I'm well, thank you. This is my third appearance on Beast Tactical, so I've proved the good luck charm for the first two, so I'm hoping that doesn't stay the case for this episode. But no, I think it's going to be a really interesting chat. I think We've got two clubs here in similar situations in the table, but probably given where they wanted to be at the start of the season, differing levels of happiness with how the start's been so far. Yeah, that's definitely right. I think um, we'll explore that as we go further on. But yeah, really good to have you on and good to chat to you. Um, I know you're really busy with um, studying and stuff, so special thanks for coming on and chatting to us and taking time out of your own schedule. Um but yeah, good to have you back. You're a, a semi-regular now. Um, maybe like um, uh, Soccer AM or whatever those types of programmes are. You might have to start handing out match balls for people who make uh, regular <laughs> appearances. But yeah, this is your hat trick of, um, of appearances. And yeah, it's great to have you on board and chatting through Everton before um, before a big game for both teams. Um, okay, without further ado, I reckon we get straight into it. Lots to discuss. Um so yeah, Bees v Everton, that's why we're here, that's why we're chatting. Um, it's the final game in November before we enter a gruelling seven-game December. Um, Felix, yeah, or straight off the bat, how would you describe current Everton if you were if you were trying to encapsulate your mood and, and that of the Toffee fan base? Um, the, word, the word grim springs to mind, but there's, there's little bits of light, but they're really scattered in some, amongst kind of a bleak feeling around the club. It's, it's really hard to you know, sum up just the mediocrity that the club seems to have embodied over the last sort of decade or so ever since David Moyes left we've bounced around between managers we've spent without having a plan we've had changes uh, at the top of the club in terms of board structure and we've just really been treading water despite all of that change we've got a brand new stadium on the horizon at Bramley Moor Dock which the plans for it look fantastic and hopefully it should really energize the local community but whether it's gonna well it's not going to improve the football by itself and you know there's there's jokes around the fan base that oh we're gonna have the best stadium in the championship which it's it's a long way off for now I think as being embroiled in that sort of battle if we don't fix the mistakes that have been made over the last three to five years it's a very real and quite scary possibility for a club that's only ever spent what three seasons outside of the top flight uh Rafa Benitez has come in made a positive start which he had to do given his checkered history with the club uh, the first man to manage both of the big Merseyside clubs but now that the results haven't been going our way and while not all of it's his fault we've had bad luck with injuries we've played some we start to play some good teams certainly you have to lay some of the blame at the feet of Rafa Benitez and the fans are going to be much quicker to turn on him than they might have been with previous managers so it's bleak and we need some big results or at least some big performances to try and get some optimism back into the fan base Mm, yeah grim was an interesting word I mean it's it's 
probably a similar a similar experience to Newcastle in that sense, isn't it? And um, coincidentally, Rafa was manager at Newcastle for a long period, and I think some of their fans would describe what they were going through as grief, maybe for different reasons. But um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's sad to not hear you more positive about your team, but probably good for Brentford in that this is a team you'd want to face. <laughs> but we'll move on. Um, for now but yeah let's recap the last couple of matches and how we've got to this point I think from a Brentford perspective um, Brentford are without a win in five but um, stemmed a run of four losses in a row with a with a really thrilling entertaining 3-3 draw v Newcastle um, I say entertaining it was um, full of defensive woe from Brentford's perspective um, and we conceded 22 shots I did a video on it actually just looking through the shots and um, because it's quite alarming to have such a high number the most Newcastle have generated in ages um, the most Brentford have conceded in ages and then shots on target was quite high as well so that was quite quite interesting maybe some joy for Everton there but um, from an Everton perspective you're without a win in six um, the last win was a 2-0 victory over Norwich and that was back on the 25th of September um, you've drawn four sorry you've lost four and drawn two since then uh, most recently dismantled 3-0 by a really classy Man City team. Um, what's what's going on with your recent form? And um, are, we, are we just looking at a squad not really equipped to deal with to deal with the the rigors of the Premier League, or is it just more short-term medium fitness issues? What what would you put it What would you put it down to? Yeah, I think there's a massive disparity between Everton, the plain eleven, and Everton, the squad. I think when we've got our nominally best 11 or best 12 maybe you can throw in one of the substitutes we can compete with most teams in the league and you know at the start of the season we seem to have a really good system in place um 4-4-2 4-4-1-1 counter-attacking um the midfield duo look really solid in Alan and Abdullah Dukure um but then as soon as the injuries started happening to even just one or two key players the whole system seemed to collapse we seemed to have to retreat into our shell and the depth of the squad despite the amount of money that we've spent over the last probably since summer 2017 which was Ronald Koeman's second summer in charge uh, and Steve Walsh came in as head of recruitment that is really when the crux of our recruitment issues started and we started spending money on any half-decent name that came up that wanted to play for us without really thinking about positional balance across the squad, without thinking about what are the ages of the players that we're buying, are we going to either be able to improve them or sell them on for more money, without thinking about how we're going to develop the players once they get to the club, while at the same time not really bringing anyone through the academy of note, despite winning two Premier League 2 titles in recent years, no one has really graduated through to the first team bar Tom Davis who's a sporadic starter um, um, we've had people go out on loan and then come back and not really get the chances Anthony Gordon's one who's starting to get a few opportunities now but again A isn't quite at the, the level to start week in week out and B isn't fully trusted by management I think Benitez trusts him more than Ancelotti certainly did last season but when you combine those two factors you just end up with a squad that's bloated in certain areas but bloated not with quality just with bodies and is seriously underprepared in others and I think that's the real crux of why we've struggled as soon as one or two of our important players go down Yeah, a considerable amount has been spent by Everton in the last five yeah, ten years actually um, what, What's your opinion on this? I mean, is this one of the worst outlay versus return projects in the Premier League? I guess bearing in mind Everton are on the cusp of like serious FFP issues, um, which are limiting your spending now. Um, this summer, um, incomings were limited to Andros Townsend, uh, Andros Townsend, Damari Gray and Begovic. Um, but it showed a drastic change in financial attitude, or I guess restraint. But those three players actually came in for three million or under three million combined. Um, that's a huge change in what we've seen before. Um how do you feel about that? I, I, I guess those are, I don't mean to say it as in like you should be spending more for players. I think those are quite astute acquisitions, but that's just a, it's just a massive difference in in, in um, how you'd have tracked players and brought players in in the recent past. Yeah, I think that word astute is bang on in terms of we didn't have the money. We had restraints put on us. So we had to go out and look for players we could pick up cheap that would add value. And that 
throws me back to what we used to do under David Moyes. I think our I think we only signed maybe three players over ten million in the whole of David Moyes' tenure, um, and they all went on to be big contributors, especially Marwan Fellaini. And then Mashiri came in with the the promise of lots of money, and that as a fan base excited us when we'd been sort of scrimping and saving and having to recruit in different areas. We'd never been able to attract star names, so that money suddenly the pound signs lit up in everyone's eyes. But it just has been spent in totally the wrong areas. I go back to that summer of. 2017 as I do every time when I speak to people about our recruitment when we signed Sandro Ramirez Wayne Rooney, Davy Klassen Gilfie Sigurdsson and Nikola Vlasic all in the same summer five players who were effectively going to be competing for one position you know, a club record signing in Sigurdsson a young player in Vlasic who I'm still convinced we only scouted because he played well against us in the Europa League playoff Wayne Rooney brought back obviously for sentimentality reasons but when you've got five players competing for one position and we still have not signed a replacement for Seamus Coleman who ever since his leg break as loyal as a servant he is to the club has not been the same player certainly physically since he broke his leg um, playing for the Republic of Ireland we've had Jibril Sidibe on loan for a season and that was a little bit curtailed by Covid anyway um, the fact we we spent that outlay on the sort of number 10 position it's just ludicrous to then in January let Sam Allardyce have a free checkbook or a blank checkbook and spend close to fifty million on Theo Walcott and Chenktos and again adding why are we adding more attacking options when we, we bought all those players in the summer? Surely that should have been the attack set up for the next two or three years. And we just brought in Adam Ola Luckman the January before as well, who barely got a look in. Uh, and probably had his development stunted as a result. So the, it's just been really muddled, and there seems to have been no plan in place. And you're now left with a squad that's the invis or the the vision of three or four different managers. You've got Andre Gomez and um, Alex Iwobi, who were probably signed to play Marco Silva's sort of high press, high tempo system. But then you've got Ducure and. Alan, who were brought in by Ancelotti to play that sort of box midfield in the 4-4-2 uh, and you've still got remnants lying around from the Walsh and Koeman era um, I'd say you know out of that last five years the only real success stories were Jordan Pickford who's been a really good goalkeeper he's still error prone from time to time but by and large his consistency has improved and I was one of his biggest critics to begin with and He's definitely shut me up a few times. I think Idris Gay was a good signing and then was sold on to bigger and better things um, at Paris Saint-Germain. And then Richarlison has been a vital component to the attack. And then three who we brought in last summer, Ducouré, Allen and um, Ben Godfrey. You know, we've only been here for just over a season, so be be quite quick to judge them. Um, and then Yeri Mina, Luca Dean were brought in around 2018-2019, have been important both missed time through injury unfortunately as well so it's just this really muddled recruitment strategy for different systems for different tempos um not addressing areas that need more depth and i think that's just culminated in the threadbare squad and having to go back to the Moyes approach of having quite a limited budget and really scour for for good players and credit to townsend and gray as well they have come in and contributed straight away and I think they've surprised the fans with how much they have added to the side relative to what we expected of them um, but when you're competing in that sort of bracket West Ham have probably overtaken us in that best the rest battle we used to have Leicester uh, Wolves possibly Aston Villa I'm not sure then it's really hard to compete when you've spent all your money and you're then hamstrung by the rules as a result that unless we sell one of our better players which as we've seen by them being out of the team we struggle with if we sell them I do not trust the board and the recruitment team to spend that money wisely unfortunately yeah yeah from a financial competency point of view it's not it's not a great look and that's why I started it off with um, a financial question um, uh, yeah being an accountant myself as well but it's, it's not just that I, um, so starting to why I did that because I before obviously we do these things and some of these previews it's good to look at the other teams and look where they are um, statistically what sort of numbers they're putting up and then that can tell you a little bit about how they profile and what type of team they are obviously those things are manager dependent as well but I'm just going to go through a little bit of a data comparison of the two teams and and I'll just loop it back to what we're talking about financially there um, so 
we're what are we? We're twelve games through now. We're almost a third of the way through the season. Um, there aren't too many more hiding places for teams. I mean, obviously, serious injury could deter what the kind of output you're looking for teams if you're losing your best player for instance but after about 12 games you should have a good indication of what teams are doing um goals are pretty set and um, Brentford and um, Everton same amount of goals on 16 Everton have slightly conceded a couple more um xg generated Brentford have con- uh, generated much more expected goals or a couple more expected goals not much more but two more value wise this is looking at 538s numbers by the way um expected goals against uh, Brentford are defending better and allowing um, less shots on goal value-wise. Non-shot XG, which is also a really good model of 538s, looking at um, all the actions before shots and the the creativity of a team in a way. Um, uh, Brentford are about a goal better after 12 games. Um, Non-shot XG against. um, Brentford come out of that better again. Um, Almost three goals better, just the quality of uh, the valuable chances that um, teams might be creating against you. Um, and I could go on with this as well. I think I think what I'm going to get at, without carrying on too much further, is like for the outlay that Everton has spent in the last five years, and then we, we sort of compare that to Brentford and where we are today, metrics-wise, um, the more and more you go through this, the, the numbers put up by both teams are actually fairly similar, and they're also similar in style as well. And it, it's almost like, what, what have Everton spent to get this... And then what have Brentford done to to be delivering this on the pitch? And um, there's a huge disparity there. Um, are, are you in agreement or have you seen anything else to, to differ from that? No, not really. I You say all that and I, I just think back to a conversation I had with someone a while ago. Is We spent all this money, but we still don't know what Everton is. We know, we know what Everton were. We're a club that's always prided ourselves on being quite direct and lots of athleticism and We've had a rich lineage of centre forwards and strikers, but the last few years, I don't know what we are. We we've been a side that just goes into our shell against teams big and small at times. We've been we've tried to counter attack and that's not worked. We've tried to play high press and then we lose one player and that all goes to pot as soon as Idrissa Gay went. That system collapsed on itself. We tried to be a possession side under Roberto Martinez and that went very stale after a season and we just ended up looking like a poor version of Brendan Rodgers' Swansea, just passing it around the back and trying to bump our pass completion numbers up. Um, so th- there's just not really been an identity. And I, I completely understand that you have to be flexible. And I think Ancelotti dragged us to some results last season by being flexible. But you can be flexible within an overarching system of what you want the club to be. And you can recruit players who are going to adhere to a certain template of what you want to be but they've still got individual qualities that mean you can deviate slightly from that um you know even when we had David Moyes we tended to set up in a sort of 4-5-1-4-2-3-1 system but there'd be subtle shifts within that depending on the opposition we might play both Phil Neville and Seamus Coleman on the right rather than one of them at right back and the winger if the opponent are a particularly dangerous left-sided player we might play Tim Cahill behind the striker or we might play Maron Fellaini there, depending if we want it to be a bit solid. So we had this overarching philosophy of how we wanted to play it, but you could still tweak it to nullify certain opposition strengths. But nowadays, there seems to be a shift every couple of weeks in how we want to play. Do we want to match up and play three at the back? Do we want to match them up in midfield? And it's just so confusing as a fan to not know the direction that the club's going in. And there's metrics there say it. It's just sort of pretty average to below average in most areas yeah it doesn't feel like a team um uh, watching Everton in preparation for this and throughout this season as well and then um just looking at some of the numbers you put up it's, it doesn't feel like a team that's in year two three four of its cycle it, it looks like it's almost trying to stabilize and start again and and not drop down too much if you see what I mean not fall back um but yeah I, I just find it quite interesting like some of these some of these other numbers as well the two teams um, in terms of defensive pressures as well, where they're taking place, I think is a good way to judge whether a team is pressing high or they're active in pressing high or pressing in the middle third or, or defensive third. But yeah, Everton profile, similarly to Brentford, like that as well. Most of the pressures are taking place um, in the defensive third. Um, uh, the two teams in sort of sequences as well are very similar too. Um, yeah, passes per, uh, passes per possessions are about 2.65 really indicative of a team that's quite deep and then struggles to get out 
Um, Brentford's reason is probably slightly different that we go long to Tony to try and get out and then it's quite hard to stabilise from there you guys do try and play out a little bit more but you do struggle in that 4-4-2 and just trying to decompress out of that and it's often giving it to a forward to to try and dribble past a couple of players and then it breaks down again so I guess what I'm getting at again as well is Brentford are playing like this and putting up numbers like this because we're obviously clearly an underdog we know that we have inferior players we have inferior resources and we're trying to trying to stay in a league um yeah after five years it seems that Everton have gone down the route of Rafa and uh, are doing a similar thing yeah it's really interesting because I think we played off that underdog mentality for years and it it did bring us success um especially in the sort of late 2000s very early 2010s but now it I think the the passing style and the play style is we've got forwards who are aerially good. We've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin who's mobile, very, very good in the air, um, but not necessarily too great in tight spaces with the ball at his feet. And then Solomon Rondon was brought in as a sort of backup, having spent the last two years just muddling his way through in the Chinese Super League. And he looks way, way off the pace. And again, he's good at hold-up play. But that time away from the Premier League has just slowed everything down about his game by about 30%. So he's not the Rondon you got at Newcastle or West Brom where he could lead the line and hold up the ball and bring others into play. And I think once we do get playing like that again, things should start to pick up because you've got a focal point there and you've got players off Calvert-Lewin in Richarlison and Gray and Alex Awobi who can then do things with the ball at their feet. And I think hopefully once Dominic Calvert-Lewin comes back he is the key piece for me missing at the minute in terms of allowing us to get the ball out when we're under pressure and counter but also bringing Luca Digne back to the fore I think Digne has really suffered from missing that target in Calvert-Lewin I think also Benitez has asked him to play a little bit more reserved there was a good article in The Athletic about it about how he's asked him to be more uh, just sit at home but Luca Dini's best attributes are when he's going forward, his, his crossing, his delivery from set pieces. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think missing that presence in Calvert-Lewin has affected his game and has turned a lot of the fan base against him, actually, when it's not necessarily all his fault. I guess teams are set out to play in their manager's image, aren't they? Um, probably a good time to, to talk a little bit about Rafa and then maybe get a, a bit more detail about the squad. But, um, yeah, Rafa's had a huge career, Um He's managed at Chelsea, Liverpool, Milan, uh, Valencia, Newcastle, Napoli, Madrid. We're talking about some of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, but where are we today with Rafa? That's what that's um, the question I'm thinking when I look at him. Um, yeah, it, this may seem harsh and a bit um, playful, but is he really just a Steve Bruce with better players, or or is he a poor man's Diego Simeone with worse players? Like, what are we getting out of him today? Um, I think if we look back to some of his most successful periods, um, obviously with his Liverpool team and Chelsea, we're, we're looking at sort of 15 years or a decade ago now of football. Um, how do you feel about Rafa before we get into him in a bit more detail? Yeah, I, I think to start with, probably some of our fans maybe were kidding themselves a little bit when they thought we were going to get Rafa Benitez or wanted Rafa Benitez in that they were getting the Rafa that was the Liverpool manager, the Valencia manager, the Chelsea manager. Whereas... Rafa having you know the end of his tenure at Newcastle and then his tenure in China is not that same Rafa Benitez he's when he came over to the Premier League to start with he was at a huge advantage in that the level of tactical analysis and coaching in England was not as high as it was and he came over with uh, Jose Mourinho and they really took the league by storm and forced you know Alex Ferguson to adapt having already had to adapt when Wenger came in but that sort of advantage is gone now you've got so many world-class coaches in the Premier League now and with Klopp and Guardiola uh, Tuchel Conte even people like Ralph Hassan Hootel and uh, Brendan Rodgers to a certain extent so that European approach that he brought uh, the first time and that emphasis on the collective and team stability defence first and being really organised isn't as much of an advantage anymore but also his powers have probably waned slightly. He's not really coached an elite level side since probably his Napoli side, um, who were good but kind of also rounds the event as he then obviously brought Newcastle up in the most emphatic way possible. That squad obviously was good enough to win the league. They really did blitz it in the end. And then he sort of stabilised them as a, a tenth to twelfth club, but nothing spectacular and actually at times Bruce's numbers were 
very similar to Benitez's, just didn't get the finishing positions that received the acclaim. And then went obviously went off to China and didn't do great there, was in a relegation scrap for most of his time there. Uh, I can't profess to know sort of the ins and outs of the team he was coaching and where they were expected to be, but it's still not great. And for us to sort of assess the entire managerial landscape over the summer and come to the conclusion that Benitez was a good fit for us because he knows the city is a little <laughs> bit questionable to me. Yeah, you've mentioned it. I mean, he's yeah, he's the ex-manager of your biggest rivals. Um, I, yeah, I, I tend to agree with everything you're saying, actually. Like, the early adoption of um, those European man- managers coming in and um, and building these teams that were really tough to beat, and then it was that sort of alpha macho, we only need one goal or two to win this, and you're, you're going to waste your energy trying to break us down, and then we're going to hit you. And that counter-punching, I think the top teams now are clearly defending with the ball and in an even Liverpool sense letting you have it in some areas and then just hitting you again it's it, the game has really moved on quickly and pre- pressing across mm. the league even teams in the middle to bottom third of the table can really press well and can hurt you when you have the ball now you look at Leeds you look at Southampton it's the game has evolved so much since Benitez was at the peak of his powers and I'm not sure same with Mourinho to a certain extent they just haven't adapted quickly enough compared to the new generation that have come through and it's almost a clash of new versus old and by and large new is tending to win out I guess this is this managerial merry-go-round that I'm kind of interested in um Rafa has really quite quietly just got on that hasn't he and he seems to be a manager you you turn to when you want to stabilize and you want to sort of protect what you have instead of trying to look up the league and 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 compete with with some of these top teams, or, or at least at least attempt to. I think what we're seeing with Potter at Brighton as well that if you um, have the right backing and you assemble a team you, quite quickly, you can you can play a style that um, that is that is sort of replicated by the top teams. And then as soon as you can plug better players into that, you're almost playing <laughs> you're almost playing like a top team and able to compete higher up the table. Everton seem the opposite to that at the moment, don't they? I, I, in some of our notes prior to this, you talked about. Rafa being a similar vein to Ancelotti and um, yeah there's there's a lot of trying to absorb pressure I watched the to be honest I've watched far too much Everton than I'd like in this last um, week but the Man City match um, was quite difficult to watch I mean the 4-4-2 low to mid block out of possession it, it, it was almost it, it, it was a complete dismantling for Man City I mean we're talking about one of the best teams in the world to ever play the game but the animation to actually get the ball the 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 patience the waiting and then the sort of the sort of slight running towards the ball and the player in possession but you're not really trying to get them and then there were a couple of connections from Delft where he did get near a few players but really it's not it's sort of you're just trying to protect the center of the pitch aren't you and then if the ball goes out wide you just sort of run out there then funnel back to the middle and it was only ever going to end in one way and um, seeing how the front two operated in that match just for Charleston and it didn't look great. I mean, whenever they got the ball, they were just completely isolated, trying to take on a couple of players and, and lost it. Um, and, and yeah, as I said at the outset, you've had a really bad run since um, that win at Norwich. The start of the season started quite well. A, a lot of people were impressed with Gray. There was a few transitional goals, weren't there, where the, the, the pace of Gray, and people were sort of talking about him being a really good signing, but the pace of him took him away from players. Um, a couple of quick early strikes before goalkeepers could settle. Um uh, Andros Townsend did the same against Man United, getting you a point there. There's, there's been a few moments where you're thinking, or, or people could maybe be fooled into this is quite repeatable and this could be a way forward. But I, I didn't quite see it like that. And by by listening to you talk about Everton, I'm not sure you did either. Um, Decore is a big blow, isn't he? I think you with this four four two, which we're seeing, this quite deep sitting four four two. You you need someone of his presence, of his quality. How much of a loss has he been? I think. He's been huge because Benitez has insisted on sticking with the same system without him. I think when he plays alongside Allen, the two-man midfield really does work because they cover for each other really well. Because Allen is not someone who can just sit at the base of midfield. He's still quite aggressive and he likes to press and he likes to go hunting for the ball and then lay it off when he gets it. And Ducure is athletically brilliant enough to cover for the spaces that Alan leaves when he goes to press the ball. So that even if he doesn't get it, Dekure is there sitting. And then when we do have the ball, Dekure offers a really good threat, sort of late third-man runs 
a presence on the edge of the box, a presence in the air when crosses are coming in. Again, Luca Dina, another target that he's missing. And I think without that, the profiles of the other midfielders in the squad don't allow Alan to then play his natural game. I think with Ducure out, we really should have switched to a three-man midfield by now. I mean, we've we've tried midfield pairings with Alan and Jean-Philippe Gabamon, who, bless him, is still just not fit. He just cannot seem to catch a break in terms of his fitness, and he looks way off the pace whenever he plays. I went to a the only game I've managed to go to this season was a cup game at Huddersfield, and he he looked so below par playing against um, Scott High, it, who was who's only made a handful of appearances for Huddersfield by that point. But the difference looked night and day. Um, Tom Davis, very much again like Alan, wants to go hunting for the ball, isn't the most positionally disciplined, and I think <coughs> losing Andre Gomez. As much as our fan base really does get on his back, a lot of them seem to forget he's come back from a broken leg. He's not going to be at the same level he was. But when we played a midfield three last year with Gomez, Ducure and Allen, I think that really worked well because Gomez does offer a lot of security in possession. He can find players with the ball. And I think if we can find a three that incorporates him when he's back fit, should be back before Ducure, Allen, and then almost... Uh, the hero from villain transition of Fabian Delph, um, who, when he has been fit, has always been quite a solid player for us, in my opinion. If we can find the midfield balance between those three that potentially works until we can get the Curé back and go back to the two-man midfield, that's probably our best bet. But I just don't think the profiles, and again, it comes back to the recruitment, the profiles that we've got don't allow us to replace the Curé like for like, which necessitates either a change in the system or big glaring holes if we don't change the system. Yeah, like other, I think a lot of teams as well, injuries do dictate some performance. But it does feel like if um, if Everton want to get more out of this squad and Benitez, um, it, I don't I don't know if he's got the best if he's got the best shape here to to do that. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, thirty six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/work. Shopify.com/work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, I think the four, I think against Man City, obviously, coming off 3-0, you probably predicted beforehand the scoreline would have been 3-0, 3-1 along those lines. Um it just looked way too passive to me. It looked way too easy. And I think there's other teams that are playing this low to medium block who look better at it. I think um, that maybe that's that's where I stand on that one. But yeah, I think what we're getting at with Rafa really is um, th- there's almost like a turning, isn't there? I, I think some, uh, I guess some fans would have been 
pretty frustrated he was brought in anyway but the large sentiment seems to be dipping away and um, he was probably on thin ice anyway being an ex-Liverpool manager but where, where would you where do you stand on that I mean I, I, on one of the Everton tactics sites I did see someone write um, if we let Benitez go I'm terrified we'll get Ollie or, or Lampard um, <laughs> where do you where do you sit on Rafa's um, short to medium term um, so I think firstly as bad as our board has been at times I don't think they'd go to that extreme um, I think if he, he did go it probably Nuno Espirito Santo would be the man that would come in to replace him given our heavy links in the summer but in terms of would I keep Benitez he's made mistakes I think that's very fair to say our set piece strategy at both ends of the pitch has fallen off a cliff from Ancelotti to Benitez so definitely that's a big sort of black mark against him he's had injury woes probably more so at this stage in the season than Ancelotti had the comparable stage last year so you have to kind of give him some leniency there but I just don't think we can hit the reset button again given the state that the club is in given the hodgepodge of players that we've got and the lack of talent coming through and the lack of a vision I think you mentioned um, Brighton and Graham Potter before there's obviously a clear long-term vision in place there there's a good coach they recruit well and that allows you to progress as you buy better and better players, like you said. But also, by playing in that style, it makes your players more saleable. Um, it allows you to, if a big club does come in for your assets and Arsenal comes in for £50 million for Ben White, you can reinvest that well. You can carry on playing the same way because you've got a template that you're going towards. And I think if we get rid of Benitez, we're still stuck without a style and we're still stuck with this mixture of players. We, we've got very few saleable assets. I'd say we've got three. And I don't know if we sold them whether the board could then come in and find good alternatives, good replacements and have a a philosophy in place. I think Benitez will give us at least a modicum of stability if nothing else and it's going to take a long time and I think we've just got to be patient as a fan base. We've got to realise that sacking the manager is not the answer all the time. We did it with Silva, with Koeman, with Allardyce. You can't just keep doing it and expect... If it's happening with every single manager, there's obviously something more fundamentally wrong at the club. And I think he has to have it until at least the end of the season. If a viable candidate then comes up in the summer where we can go, right, we can start the rebuild project with you. We'll give you two to three years. Have a plan in place. Go out and sign the right players you want. Try and bring some guys through from the academy. And let's be in a good position come the time to move from Goodison Park to the new stadium. I think that's probably our best bet for the time being. But whichever way you slice it it's not a great outlook for the near future yeah I, th- I think someone like brands and um and others uh, other directors of football maybe they're um maybe the, the the realization of actually what they're doing and some of the work and some of their foresight is 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 kind of catching up on them I, I th- i'm thinking of maybe norwich a little bit as well here but if benitez was to be moved on um I guess what you're asking is, is, is the expectation of your league position, is, are you way under underachieving from where you should be? I, I think financially and the outlay in terms, obviously the answer is probably yes. Um, there's been a lot spent on this squad and it's not performing, but would another manager come in immediately and change that in the time um, uh, in the time before the end of the season? Or is Benitez going to stabilise enough and, and probably just get you where you want to be to reassess in the summer and then and then do it in a year where you haven't spent lots of money and then you try and start getting some people off the wage bill. That, that's what I meant about stabilising and, and probably being similar to Brentford. It, it shows up in the numbers performance-wise and it's it's probably something that Everton won't really say out loud, but the team is the squad is in a bit of a mess, isn't it? You need stabilisation. I don't think you can be looking up until you actually secure what's going on in the pitch and, and that's where maybe the two things aren't... Um, aren't quite aligned um I think just just on Rafa as well again um maybe something that time has caught up on him and I I think this is this is also showing up but he's clearly a defensive coach first you think of his style and um, what he stands for and and that 4-4-2 discipline out of possession um set pieces aren't looking great for um, Everton and it's an area where lots of teams now are employing staff to look at and and be better at and just exploit and um, Brentford themselves like, pride themselves on being a good set piece team, attacking and defensively. I think if you can control those situations and you you spend a lot of time on that and you have some good plans and you you invest um, 
financially on coaches in that area you can start to see rewards and um, the open play side of the game might take care of itself it might not but it's a, it's a huge part of the game. Everton Everton look really weak in this area. Um, yeah, just I'm um, just going to read off a couple of numbers here. Um, expected goals for Everton are 16th in the table, which I, I find quite shocking. Um, Brentford are actually first for expected goals generated from set pieces. Um, expected goals against Everton are 15th, but they're actually 19th for goals conceded for um, goals from set pieces, which is yeah, it's, it's, I think that's quite alarming. Brentford are sixth. Um, for expected goals and also sixth um, with goals conceded as well. Um, I'm not sure about the inner workings of the coaching staff um, intimately at Everton, but I don't know if there is a dedicated set piece coach. Is this is this somewhere where you feel like you've just drastically fallen behind, or is it is it something that is probably being overplayed? Or no, I do think there's been a massive drop off from last season, and I do think it's yet another area where there's marginal gains that other clubs are gaining that. We just aren't. We're just. It's just another example of us not being smart in how we're structuring the club. Um, the approach under Ancelotti, we got. It was. It's quite strange last year. A lot of pundits were highlighting it all the time about. <clears throat> we basically had these two lines, and we'd let the opposition players just sort of roam in between these two lines. And then when the ball came in, the lines were sort of compressed, and it, it worked really well from a defensive standpoint. And then attacking wise, um, we scored some big goals. The two centre back, Mina and Keane were really important from set pieces and then Calvert-Lewin as well last year um, and yeah there just seems to have been a total switch around and I think Benitez is it's rumoured that he's asked them to change from a, a man system to a zonal system which is always obviously one of the biggest debates around set pieces but the players allegedly feel more comfortable with the setup that Ancelotti used I think it was Ancelotti's um, son Davide who was one of the assistant coaches that was in charge of the set pieces last year and there just now seems to be no direction I do worry whenever we concede corners now because it just looks like no one knows what they're doing, who's tracking which man, who's meant to be going for the ball. Uh, the only player I feel comfortable with is, is Pickford when he comes out to claim a corner, um, which is one of his stronger attributes. But in terms of actually picking up men and getting the ball away, it's a little bit of a nightmare at times. So I think, yeah, that has been one area where I think the fault has to lay at the feet of Rafa Benitez in terms of that's instantly weakened us by a good few percentage points. I, I think it wouldn't be such an issue if um, in open play offensively you were so good and you kind of, there was a bit of a trade-off but it's, something's not really adding up because you're you're not exceptional in open play yet from set pieces or defensively you're not great and, but that is the aim of your team really it's it's obviously you're obviously set up to contain and be good and and be good without the ball and hard to beat that way so yeah there's there's a there's a bit of a disconnect there but it feels like something maybe yeah again that has Rafa just put to the back burner and not doesn't quite value as much as some of the coaches that are a little bit more up to date I mean it's it's easy to put those things on coaches I mean without sitting down with Rafa and seeing his um his intimate like game models and how he sees the game he probably I mean we could be assuming here but the impression we're getting is that other managers other coaches other squads this is much higher on their agenda than um, than Everton at the moment um some other things that I I guess uh, to continue with Rafa Ball and um, what what we're seeing from him on the pitch and coming into this game um this is probably more indicative of style as well passes per defensive action so Everton uh Everton are allowing 15.8 passes per defensive action that they're putting in. Um, I find that, that that's quite high. There's only three teams that are allowing more, um, and they're probably the most passive teams we can think of in the league, maybe in terms of quality as well. But we've got Norwich and Watford in there, and I think Spurs are up there as well. Um, Brentford are allowing 12.2, which um, yeah, which, which is a significant amount less, really. I mean, it's if, if you're trying to protect your goal and... and and there's a little bit of impetus in trying to win the ball higher up the pitch, then you can't be allowing sort of 15, 16 passes. And, and they're taking place in Everton's half deep as well. I, I think high turnovers, this is quite interesting too. Everton are turning the ball in the high areas of the pitch. Like, so um, in that final third, just 68 times, joint second lowest in the league, um, which is more indicative of uh, of sort of what Raf is trying to do. Brentford have actually turned the ball over the high um, 88 times, showing a bit more of our intent to to make value out of that 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 quick moment when a team isn't settled or whether whether a team is um, 
trying to decompress and um, play out themselves and you can you can get um or you can exploit situations where they, they can't get back quick enough um but something else everton have done which is um which i guess is benefiting these low number of high turnovers i think getting shots away from those high turnovers brentford um everton are quite successful at that and i, I without analysing them properly I don't know if that's a, a shoot on sight mentality from the likes of Townsend and Gray and um, Richardson more than picking moments and then being high quality moments but um, yeah I, I think we've spoke a little bit about Rafa it's probably time to move into one of your one of your star players and um, one of the questions we've had in um, yeah R- Richardson is one of your most dangerous players but he's had an insane summer of international tournaments, affording him barely any or barely a minute's rest. Um, has there been a bit of a lag in his performance off the back of that? And is 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 Rafa suffering with obviously his star tri- striker in Calvert Lewin out, and then a weakened Richarlison? Yeah, I, I think he's still hung over from last season, and then the summer's just added on top of that. He since he signed for us, he's barely missed a game, which is credit to him. Obviously, for being able to say, I think the only times he has missed games are through suspensions and little injuries here and there he's not really had a long layoff um suspensions has been really the big win and it's one of my my bugbears with his game but um no he, he's just played a, a hell of a lot of football and at times has played a hell of a lot of football without getting any service he's just been running around without getting a lot of the ball especially at times last season under Ancelotti and then for him to go away and play two tournaments over the summer for Brazil be a really key player in both of them yeah I just think that lack of rest is catching up with him and in a system where he doesn't get to have a lot of the ball and a lot of time for to rest, um, yeah, it's it's been really difficult for him. And I don't think he always helps himself. I think he gets frustrated far too easily still sometimes and just goes looking to foul the opposition to just add something, a bit of excitement to the game when he gets bored. But yeah, he, he doesn't get loads of help. I mean, on Saturday against, or Sunday, sorry, against uh, Man City... He just looks isolated, and any time, really, any of our players got the ball, it looked like we didn't know what to do with it. Did we, we, did we want to counter? Did we want to try and keep it and rest for a little bit? And he just ended up against basically one-on-four at times against the whole of the City back four. They could just play around him. Um, and, yeah, he, he does look despondent a lot of the time, but that's only partly down to his own personal attitude. It's partly down to what he's being asked to do in this team. Yeah, there was a big discussion maybe six months ago, or maybe I'm mis- misremembering a little bit. Maybe it was more recently, but it was this thing about coaching attack. It was coming out a lot, and it was it was labelled at Mourinho in a lot of his time at Spurs and how um, a lot of his players. It looked like there were no real patterns in how they were attacking. I think Solskjaer's had a little bit of this labelled at him as well. Um, Rafa certainly that it's it's the, when you're a defense first manager when when your forwards get the ball and you, you they're so deep and they're in their they're in the middle third basically and there's nothing well there's a lot of space between them and the goal and all they're trying to do is get a quick layoff and then maybe run into space it it looks very improvised doesn't it it doesn't look like this is a clear method and repeatable method to goal it looks like you're just sort of hoping that the skill or the individual talent of this player can take them close enough to goal and they can get a shot away um i think we just, yeah, I mean, without mincing my words, I think you need a bit more than that now, don't you? I think especially in attack. Our forwards are better athletes than they are footballers at times. And you can afford to just, if you're a defence first manager, get the ball up when your attackers are really, really good, when they've got really good individual flair. But our best player for that is Alex Iwobi. Um And his end product is quite sketchy at times, but in terms of, dribbling and trying to beat a man and technical ability he's probably the best at it and everyone else is more of just a a direct runner and that worked at times we got a lot of space in transition against Brighton and Leeds in the early part of the season but when there is no plan in place when there's no attacking structure and there's not that space to run into I think that's where the shoot on sight thing comes from that you mentioned before when we were winning high turnovers is there's just no plan in place once we do get the ball in that area of the pitch so it's like oh we'll take a shot and see what happens can we scrape a rebound, scrape a set piece and yeah, it it was the same under Ancelotti last season as well, it got us huge results against the big teams, our record against the big six was the best I can remember it being in my life but he's, as much as our fan base want to say it, he's not immune to criticism and the games against Newcastle, against Burnley, against Sheffield United were turgid because we played the same way, we took the same approach to those teams as we took against uh, the likes of Paul and we just had no clear structure in place when we had the ball to break down 
teams that were inferior to us. Yeah, something I'm going to call the Godos problem because we've spoken before about um, on this channel about um, Saman Godos, and um, I kind of describe it as, especially with football judgment, you, you almost think that the answer is a player that's not playing or just because he isn't playing and that he comes in and solves every problem you have. And I think Godos has actually got that in him. There are, there are things that he would solve for Brentford. But do you, are there any players like that for Everton? Is there anyone that is just on the periphery that might solve an issue that you have, maybe defensively or offensively, that just can't get into this team? Or or is it just that this team does pick itself and Rafa's doing, Rafa's doing what you'd do as well? Yeah, it's tough to say. I would have said... Before the last couple of games, I would have said Fabian Delph. I think when he's fit, he does add that element of balance and control to the midfield and allows Elam to be a, a little bit more aggressive. Um, but aside from that, it's probably just giving minutes to some of our, our younger players. Um, we've got two forwards in the 23s in Ellis Sims and Lewis Dobbin. And I think if um, Calvert-Lewin isn't fit, I'd, I'd rather see them get some minutes than Salomon Rondon just to see what they can do. I mean, Sims had a really good loan spell at Blackpool in the second half of last season, helped get them promoted, was in a, a good vein of goal-scoring form. Dobbin's been really good for the under-23s. He's only 18-19, but regularly starting and scoring for our under-23s side. Um, so I'd like I'd like to see them just maybe get a few more minutes. I'm not saying start them every week, but give them half an hour or so off the bench. It provides a little bit of option. They're, good, they're young, they're going to be hungry. Um... And it might just give us some variety, and it happened. It happens against us all the time. It happened with um, Dan Jebison for Sheffield United last year. They started him when they had a forward crisis, and he was young. He was hungry. He wanted to prove himself, and he got the winner against us in a one-nil loss. Um, but in terms of players who aren't getting game time, who could make a difference? There's not the squad's so sort of threadbare in where the players are uh, in terms of their positions on the pitch that it's it's really tough to say. Yeah, I guess with these sorts of things, you're always looking at bringing in a player like Rondon and how much he costs, and like what what's the true cost of playing him or bringing him in to play him over the the stifling development or or giving a chance to a younger player who might surprise you and prove that they are good enough, quick enough, or quicker and um, actually make an impact to the team. Yeah, because he he is or was billed as our like Calvert Lewin backup, but he's Calvert Lewin on like three quarters speed so we're, we're trying to play the same game we would play with DCL but we can't do it at the same pace and we've got attackers behind him that thrive on that counter attacking being quick in transition with the ball and you just can't do that with Rondon because it takes him longer to lay the ball off but also he can't he's not mobile enough to make the runs into the positions that DCL does and drag defenders away when crosses are going into the box he's not as mobile to attack the ball so we're trying to play the same game plan with a less mobile version of the same player and that's just causing a, a chain reaction to everyone else in the attack um yeah let, let's move on to the section which we call stats sweet bees premier league honey um this is where you just try and pick out something interesting stats wise about these teams and um uh, some of the performance numbers they're putting up but i'll go first so i i had a look beforehand and i i thought what is quite interesting this is brentford at home obviously welcoming everton um my one is yeah Brentford's home advantage or supposed home advantage. Um, so if you look at points per game at home versus points uh, sort of minus points per game away, Brentford are, are putting up the biggest negative differential in the whole league, um, minus 0.83, which could spell good news for Everton. I think we've we've had issues at home, and they are three or fourfold. I mean they they range from us being wasteful in front of goal. Um, not really attacking well enough, um, bit, maybe probably being a bit too direct, um, just struggling really to make our new home stadium feel like an actual stadium. Um, and then also just being unlucky as well in a game like um, Chelsea where you come up against a keeper who is saving everything that comes at him. Um, yeah, that's that's what I found quite interesting for Brentford. We need to do something about that. Home form must be turned around as quickly as possible. But on the Everton side, I, I've... I found it quite interesting that only Southampton has spent more time in a drawing game state. So that's when the game is either 0-0, 1-1, or just when the teams are drawn. And I think that's just indicative of Rafa Ball today. You're not taking enough risks. You're looking to contain. You're spending most of your time out of possession, waiting for the other team to either make a mistake or or fall into one of the traps you lay at, you lay at them. And then it's it's quite hopeful football. That's what, that's what I, I sort of land at now. It, 
you need a bit more and I, I don't think it's enough to see a team move up the table it's it's probably in the end going to land you about average maybe about where you should be and if you have a bad bit of luck in a relegation battle um but yeah yours might be a bit more interesting than mine felix what did you what did you dig up yeah so i just kind of dug into the modeling and the numbers that i look at just to see where the teams and the players were versus expectations so my sort of stuff really works around here's what should happen going into the match based on the prior histories of the teams and the players and how much was that different to the actual result um so Brentford going into the games they've played this year and the performances they put in I have them around 17 uh points that they would be expected to have which is pretty good um they're scoring and scoring more and conceding less than they really should have done based on the opponents that they've played so that just hasn't necessarily translated into results which is, I think is the same story with the XG um, I don't want to W the new Brighton yet but that could end up being the case but as we've seen with Brighton this season that's not necessarily a bad thing, no, we'll take the that. rewards will come with a bit of time um, and then Ivan Tony, I think everyone expected him to be big, I think a lot of people had him in their FPL teams for example and I think he's been important for you without necessarily having the goals to go alongside it um, so I'd have Ivan expected to have between five and six now based on the teams that you've played so he's only on three I think so maybe he's he's going to come into a little bit more of a goal scoring form now that the him and the team as a whole have adjusted to the uh, the increased difficulty of the Premier League and as for ourselves um, Ivan's on about 15.7 15.8 expected points slightly overperforming in attack which is alarming given how poor it's been so that's probably going to regress even more soon enough and then slightly underperforming in defence which I'm not too surprised at given the chopping and changing that we tend to do almost on a game by game basis and then like I was saying with the attack it's it's quite worrying where the goals are coming from outside of Richarlison and now we've lost Damari Gray as well so I've put here the midfield that might play on uh, Sunday of Fabian Delph, Alan and Jean-Philippe Gabamin uh, based on the teams they've played for and their their goal output adjusted for team and opponent strength over their careers between the three of them they're worth less than a goal every three games which is quite damning from when the game is increasingly becoming about goals from other areas other than your striker you look at the Chelsea defenders that have scored and assisted over 20 goals I think between them this season to then have a midfield that's going to score less than a goal every three games is quite worrying yeah or quite positive for Brentford depending on your on your angle there <laughs> no that's great yeah thanks a lot for that Felix um I guess you kind of answered a little bit of the next one like where is this game going to be won or lost where do you think I think I think what you pointed to on Tony was quite interesting um Brentford would have, would have watched Tony and Brentford fans watched Tony quite carefully and I think um some of his limitations have been brought to the fore um some of his qualities as well have also been highlighted but yeah it's he's still a developing player and he's got a lot to learn um where do you think it's gonna be one or loss for each team what's your what's your angle on that um I think we go into the game matching up badly if if we try and match our three at the back system I think if we go into it with our own three at the back system we would, we're gonna struggle from the off I've never seen this in the last two and a bit years look comfortable in a, a back three system it just doesn't suit the players um I think you know we've ended up playing Iwobi or Townsend at right wing back which is poor I don't think it necessarily suits the centre-back splitting wide either. And again, if we, we go up against you playing a two-man midfield, I think we're going to struggle again without Ducure. So I think we have to go into it looking towards a 4-3-3 sort of system to stand any chance of being able to match up well against you. Um, in terms of where I, I think we could get at you, um, I think if we can get our wide attackers quite narrow, so especially if Iwobi plays drifting inside and we can try and go three against three and attack against your three centre-backs, that might be where we get most of our joy from. Um, but no, I think our system in particular could be quite crucial this weekend. Yeah, I'll just add a little bit to that as well. I think um, as much as this has probably felt a bit doom and gloomy from an Everton perspective, there are some qualities that your forwards have that really do... Str- Brentford basically struggle to contain. I think... If we think about Brentford over the last three or four years, it's not so much Brentford's pressing that have been great. It's just been their solidity and team shape and players that kind of disrupt that or dribble or take on or, or try and move forward. We saw it with St. Maxman. I mean, he's obviously an extreme example, but a couple of the goals recently that Brentford have conceded, it's, 
um, Norman against Norwich where he would just drop his shoulders centrally and just go past a couple of players and and just basically create that transitional moment without it being a transition, so to speak. That's what Brentford don't do very well at. And I think luckily in this instance, Damari Gray is not fit, but Townsend has that ability. So I think Gray and Townsend together combined with also Richarlison's um, power and just willingness to, to breeze past people could have been quite dangerous. So I think that would have been quite interesting to see, but um, probably lucky for Brentford, um, Gray isn't going to feature unless um, unless there's a miraculous recovery, but obviously him going off injured against Man City means he'll likely miss out. Um, do you think you can name your starting eleven? I know you've almost got there. Yeah, so probably Jordan Pickford, Seamus Coleman, uh, Michael Keane, Ben Godfrey, Luca Dean is likely to be the back four slash five. And then Andros Townsend, um, Alan, Fabian Delph, Anthony Gordon, uh, Alex Iwobi, Richarlison is probably what it's likely to be. And I guess from Brentford's perspective, just to start finishing off then... Um... Something I did pick out in the numbers as well, and just looking, it was it's quite considerable. Like Everton's weakness in aerial duels, um, only a forty-five rate percent success. Which there's only a couple of teams who have a worse success rate than that. It's actually Southampton and Norwich. Um, I think Brentford in some of our best games. One of them was against Liverpool. Um, the second half of Norwich, putting Tony out onto the wing and just just clipping that ball into him and stabilising possession and playing off him and just basically pulling him onto a right back or, or away from the centre backs and winning winning the ball from there and moving from there was is quite a good tactic Brentford have used now quite well. Um it could be interesting to see if we if we try and exploit that. Is there is there anything clear that you've seen in the aerial success or or failure from Everton that you think Brentford might exploit? Yeah, I mean I think Yerry Mina is probably our best defender aerially, so missing him's a big blow and I think for all of Gov Ben Godfrey's positive attributes, he's still quite raw for a central defender, still makes positional errors. I think that could definitely be exploited and I think Tony up against Keane and Godfrey could be a little bit of a mismatch. Do they have to kind of double up on him to try and counter that and then where where else does that leave space? So I think it's it is also partly probably a byproduct of how deep we're sitting and we're just maybe not even always challenging for those balls and we're looking to try and pick up the second ball and counter. Um so yeah, I think we we struggled with Mikhail Antonio when we lost to West Ham the other week. We always tend to struggle against Raul Jimenez when Wolves players. So Tony's probably going to get some joy against us, certainly. And it's how we negate what we're going to lose in the air. And then can we counterbalance that on the ground and not allow space to then play into is going to be quite a key area, I think. Mm. Well, Felix, yeah, thanks a lot. Um, that's brilliant. Yeah, I hope that was... Um therapeutic in a way um, letting off um, a bit of Everton steam um, please can you tell our listeners where we can find you online um, I know you've got a lot going on you've got the LGOP page the spreadsheet test podcast um, do you want to let them know again or remind them yeah yeah so uh, you can find me on Twitter at LGOP Felix um, where I'm usually tweeting about numbers um, various different numbers might be a little bit different to what you see elsewhere so if that's your your bag come and have a look uh, we've got a website www.lgop.co.uk um, the blog's been a little bit quiet but hoping to fire that up and yeah the uh, the spreadsheet test is on all podcast platforms we've had a few nice guests on there and i've got a couple more lined up for the new year um so yeah come and come and interact and tell me where my numbers are going wrong <laughs> Or where they're going right, um, but yeah, make sure you try and listen to the spreadsheet po- um, the spreadsheet test podcast. It's quite interesting, um, and yeah, you've had some good coups on there actually. Um, but yeah, I've enjoyed that one. Um, but yeah, Felix, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, uh, pleasure. Remember the online watchword is bees tactical. Um, yeah, please give the podcast likes, stars, um, or reviews, or and reviews wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, there's hundreds of ways to support content creators these days. Uh, bees tactical have a Kofi page and a Patreon where you can support and make sure they what they do continues. That leads me to say thank you again to Felix for joining us. Um, yeah, we'll catch you next time.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. 